Hey, LifeChurch.tv and all of our network churches. In a few moments, we're going to conclude our teaching on the life of Elijah. But first, I want to welcome our 58th and 59th network church. If you're new with us, you may not know what a network church is, but we've got now 59 other churches that will be receiving the teaching on Elijah 4 this weekend. Every weekend we give them our teaching and we're honored to partner with them. It's simply a gift and other churches use it to expand the kingdom and it's one of our great honors to partner with these other churches. I do want to officially welcome Grace Place and Milestones of Faith, our two newest network churches and both just happen to be in the Philippines. It is an honor to partner with you. Life Church next week, we're starting the big movement. It's called One Prayer, and we're honored to lead this. Please be praying for our staff. And I want to show you the churches that are going to be a part. Scrolling across your screen are the churches that are going to be partnering with us for a month as we pray together, as we fast together, as we serve together, and as we give together. It all starts next week as LifeChurch.tv unites almost 2,000 churches around the world in one prayer.
welcome today to all of our campuses and all of our network churches. We are thrilled to have you with us today as we wrap up the very important series on the life of a guy described as a man of God. His name is Elijah. If you have your Bibles with you today, I'd love if you'd open them up to 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings 19. As you're turning there, I'll tell you my cheesy opening joke. One time a professor had a class full of freshmen from all over the world, and he asked them, he said, hey, what is the opposite of joy? And one gal from China raised her hand, and she said, the opposite of joy is, is sadness. And the professor said, right, you're absolutely right. And then he said, what is the opposite of depression? And a guy from France raised his hand. He said, uh, the opposite of depression, is it elation? And the professor said, you're absolutely right. And then he asked the question, what is the opposite of woe? And a guy from Texas said, well, I suppose the opposite of woe would be Giddy up, <laughs> giddy up, giddy up. Uh, the opposite of depression. Depression is what I am right now because you did not laugh at my cheesy <laughs> opening joke. We're going to talk about depression in the life of a man of God who just had one of the greatest victories ever on Mount Carmel. And after he saw God work in a supernatural way, he came down to a very low point in his life. So we'll pick up the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 1. Here's what Scripture says. The Bible says, now Ahab and Jezebel, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. Now, let's backtrack so you'll remember who we're talking about. If you remember, Ahab was the evil king. He was the 19th consecutive evil king and scripture tells us he had done more evil in the eyes of God than any of those before him. Now, he kind of became a wuss toward the end of his reign, and he handed really the leadership over to his evil wife, Jezebel, and said, I don't really want to do this anymore. I'm kind of wussing out. And so here's what Elijah did, and I don't know what to do. And Jezebel steps in and takes over. We see what she does in verse 2. Scripture says, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. And she's referring to the dead false prophets. In other words, I'm going to kill you. You're going to be a dead man of God by tomorrow. Then scripture says in verse 3, Elijah was what? All of our campuses say it aloud. Elijah was afraid. And what did he do? Scripture says he ran for his life. Huh? No, 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 wait a minute. When we read this, this is very confusing. If you think back to all that God had done in Elijah's life. If you missed the past few weeks, let me just review the story. And when you hear what God has done, and when you see Elijah's response, it'll cause you to pause and go, what? Week number one, we studied that the king had turned the hearts of the people away from Jehovah God to these false prophets. So God raises up out of nowhere this prophet, Elijah, who comes and stands down the king and says, King, it's not going to rain until I ask God to cause it to rain. And he pronounces this huge drought, and sure enough, it doesn't rain at all. Then God takes him to this place of cutting, the Kareth Ravine, where he's 
chopped down and he's humbled in a season of hiding when God miraculously provides for the prophet in a season of hiding while the king's trying to kill him. God sends ravens that drop meat and, and, and bread, red meat, praise God, from heaven on high, meat and bread, and then he's fed by a brook during the middle of the drought where there is no rain. This brook comes and God nourishes him and he learns to depend on God. And then one day, scripture says the brook dried up and God led him out of the Kareth ravine to a place called Zareph where he met a widow who had just a little bit of oil, a little bit of flour, and wasn't enough. She thought she was going to die and God miraculously multiplied that so that it was enough and God showed up again. Then one day, the widow's son died and for the first time ever recorded in scripture, Elijah takes this dead boy up into the upper room, prays, and God raises this boy from the dead. Elijah's looking on going, God is faithful and God is good and God is powerful. And then after a season of hiding where there's been no rain, God calls Elijah back to go confront the king and he says, hey, bring your false prophets. And he draws a showdown. He says, get the 450 false prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, bring them up to Mount Carmel and we're gonna see who is the real God. Is it your God's? the sun god, or is it the one true God? And so they build a couple altars, put some bulls on it, say, hey, fire, come down. May your God send fire, and all the false prophets do this dance, and they cut themselves, and it goes on all day long, and nothing happens. And then Elijah says, maybe your God's going to the bathroom. Maybe you got a little tinky-winky, you know. I don't know where he is. And then he calls on God, and God sends fire from heaven. It burns everything up, and Elijah says, wow, you are a big God. And then he goes and up to uh, the mountain and prays, God send rain, God send rain, God send rain. Seven times he prays, and off in the distance he sees a cloud the size of a man's hand. And by faith he believes that is a storm coming, and sure enough, it is. Miraculous provision, miraculous protection, miraculous God, over and over and over again, for years, he's seen the faithfulness of God. And then one day, a woman says, I'm gonna kill you, and he wigs out. He freaks, he panics, and he runs for his life. Today, I wanna talk to you about four easy ways to get depressed. Four easy steps to get depressed. We, we find this in 1 Kings 19, verse 3b through 5a, where scripture says this. When Elijah came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went on a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. Interesting, he just had this great victory, and now he's praying that his life would end. He, he prays, I've had enough, Lord, he said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. How do you get depressed in four easy steps? If you're taking notes, step number one is do what Elijah did. Number one, wear yourself out. Wear yourself out. If you'll notice, over the past few years, he had been on this massive spiritual battle 
Trusting God, praying, trusting God, praying, seeking God, praying, trusting God, battle, faith, battle, faith, battle. And then he runs for his life. And geographically, he couldn't have run any farther than he did. The place that he ran was the very southern tip. And then he leaves his buddy, the servant, and runs another day's journey out into the desert. He went as far as he could and was totally and physically exhausted, much like many of you. You wonder, why am I depressed? Well, you've worn yourself plumb out. Some of you, moms, you're you're working a full-time job, taking care of the house, putting dinner on the table, carting kids all over the world, involved in PTA, involved in the church, and you're wondering why. Some of you, you just got off a killer semester and, and you, you took 16 hours and you're working a full-time job and you're, you're involved in your fraternity or you're playing a sport and you're coming off of this time and you're going, why am I so depressed? You're wearing yourself out. Some of you, it's not just the physical exertion, but it's all up here. It's just the, I gotta be there for them and I've, I've gotta make sure that, that they're covered and I've gotta be strong for everybody and I've gotta be the provider and I've gotta help nurture them and it's all this stuff going on up in here, you're totally exhausted. You've worn yourself out. Step number one is to wear yourself out. Step number two is to shut people out and that's exactly what Elijah did. He abandoned his closest friend, his servant, he said, you stay here and I'm going on. And quite honestly, that's what a lot of us do when we get overwhelmed. We're like, I'm not gonna let you in. I'm not gonna tell you what I'm going through. If I did, you wouldn't understand anyway. So we wall up and we start to push people away. I hate to say it, but that's what I do. When I'm worn out, when I'm hurting, I, I just put the wall up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna deal with this myself. I can get through with it. I, 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 you, you wouldn't even understand what I'm going through anyway. We start to stiff arm them. You want to get depressed? Wear yourself out. Shut people out. Number three, focus on the negative, which is exactly what our hero, the man of God in great faith, did. What did he say? He, he said this. He said, I've had enough. I'm, I'm no better than my ancestors, which funny is nobody was asking him if he was, but in his mind, this self-pity started to take over. And what self-pity does is it exaggerates, doesn't it? Self-pity exaggerates. I'm never gonna be any good. I'm always gonna be stuck in this life. My life's never going to get any better. I'm never gonna get into that school after this grade. I'm I'm never gonna get the promotion. My my kids are never gonna come to Christ. I'm I'm, I'm never, after that ice cream I just ate, my bottom is never gonna fit in these jeans again, right? Uh, You know, it's it's this exaggeration. It's it's, It's focusing on the negative. It's all the bad things and none of the good things. You wanna get depressed? Here it is, man, right here in scripture. You just wear yourself out like many of you have. You shut others out. You don't let them in. You focus on the negative. And the fourth thing that you need to do if you wanna get depressed is you need to forget God, which is exactly what so many of us do. I mean, imagine this. All that we saw God do in the life of Elijah. Supernatural protection and provision. 
shepherds feeding him. Water from a brook during a death, raising the dead, fire from heaven. Oh, God, you're not going to come through for me. Which is what we often do, isn't it? I mean, I, I can look back at the faithfulness of God in my life. He was there, he provided, he comforted, he was, he was a strength, he was everything I needed. But in this moment, when I'm depressed, when I'm down, I forget the faithfulness of God. How to get depressed in four easy steps. Wear yourself out, shut people out, focus on the negative, and forget God. Let's talk about the answer because, quite frankly, many of you are here today because this is the word that you need to hear from God. God is speaking directly to you because maybe you're just a little blue. Maybe you're in full-blown depression. Maybe you're at a place of hopelessness. And the good news is God wants to speak to you. Let's continue looking at Scripture, and what we're going to find is what I call God's prescription for our depression. Elijah, he didn't have any hope. He's hiding out, wanting to die. And I want you to notice, God sends an angel to represent God. And I want you to notice what God does not do through this angel. There is no sermon. Ah! You know, there, there's no rebuke. There's no shame. The angel is not saying, oh, if you only had more faith, if you only memorized more Bible verses, if you just quoted the Bible verses and quit acting like a baby, there is no rebuke, nothing negative. The very first thing that the angel of the Lord says, if you're taking notes, is this. He says, eat and rest. The very first part of the prescription for our depression, God says to eat and rest. Look at verse 5, the middle of the verse in verse 6. Here's what the Bible says. All at once the angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Verse 6 says, Elijah looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. I just love the way God provides food all the time. I mean, I'm a big fan of food, and that just makes me thankful. Okay? Scripture says, he ate and drank and then lay down again eat and rest. I was talking to a counselor one time. I'm not embarrassed to say that I talk to counselors um, on and off regularly because I feel like it's a way to spiritually become better. And I was talking to this counselor, and the counselor said, Craig, I think you really need to acknowledge that you're in the early stages of burnout. And when I heard those words, I was kind of like, well, you know, whatever reality is, it doesn't matter because I've got a lot to do for God. And, 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 and the counselor saying, you really need to take substantial time off. Your, your pace, your rhythm, it's too much, and you really need to. And I said, well, I understand that, but I have to do this for God, and the church needs this. And I went through all these responsibilities. I never will forget what he said. He looked at me and said, Craig, no, you're not hearing me. The most spiritual thing that you can do right now is rest. And that really impacted me. Some of you, the most spiritual thing you can do is not go to another church meeting and not read another Bible verse, but the most spiritual thing you can do is rest. In fact, perhaps one of the most disobeyed commands of God in the world we live in is people don't rest. Honor the God with the Sabbath, and yet we just shake that off like it's, like it's nothing. Perhaps the most spiritual thing some of you can do is rest. 
And I know what you're thinking because I'm thinking the same thing, but I gotta do this and I gotta do this and I gotta do that. And I believe God would say to you, it does not matter if the clothes are dirty. It doesn't matter if the house is not clean. It does not matter if the yard is not mowed. It doesn't matter if a few things go undone, but perhaps the most important thing, the most spiritual thing you could do is rest. The angel of the Lord provides food and lets him take a nap. Read on in in scripture, verse seven and eight. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So Elijah got up and ate and drank, now check this out, strengthened by the food and certainly by the rest, strengthened, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, this is the same mountain most scholars believe where God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. Basically, eat, rest, and go to church. Go to the place where God is. God's prescription for for depression, eat and rest, and now go to the place where you will experience God. The first thing he does, he says, go, eat, and rest. The second thing, if you're taking notes, is this. Number two, God replaces our lies with his truth. This is gonna speak to some of you. God replaces our lies, the lies that we're believing, with his truth. Look at verse nine and 10. Scripture says this. There, Elijah went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, let's just pause there and acknowledge that God already knew what Elijah was doing there. God's not up there going, hmm, I'm wondering. Let me just see if I can, I'm gonna do some investigative work. God already knew that. What God wanted Elijah to do was to voice his problem, to verbalize whatever lies he was believing so God could correct the lies. What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. True. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. True, broken down your altars. True, and put your prophets to death with the sword. True, I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. False. I'm the only one left. False. I've been doing all the work. False. I'm the only one who cares. False. I'm the only one that can get it done. False. He owned more responsibility than was actually his. He had done what God asked him to do, and he thought he was supposed to do everything. There's no one who cares like me. Everybody's depending on me. I'm all alone. Nobody understands. Well, if you read on in the story, God's actually going to say, well, Elijah, they're, they're really truthfully, There's 7,000 other Israelites, 7,000 others who have not bowed down to the false gods of Baal and Asherah. There are 7,000 others still seeking me and praying. Don't believe the lies. You're not the only one. Oh, I can only imagine what, what God would say to so many of us today when we believe the lies. Oh, my marriage could never be healed. Lie! Lie! With God, all things are possible. Replace the lie with the truth. My kids, oh, they're never gonna come back to Christ. Lie with the faith as small as a mustard seed. God can remove mountains. Oh, I got this medical report and I've got 30 days to live. Oh, 
is that too hard for God? And so many of us, we believe the lies. My life's never going to be any better. I'm never going to have an intimate relationship. I'm going to be all alone for the rest of my life. I'm stuck in this dead-end job. I've got no real ministry. I I can't make a difference. My husband's never going to believe in in Christ. I'm always going to feel alone. God takes those lies and replaces it with truth. Take every thought captive, Scripture says, and make it obedient to Christ. Where are you right now? Where are you? Some of you, if you would speak verbally, you might just speak a lie. I'm always going to be depressed. It's always going to be that. Maybe God might take that and say, that's actually not the whole truth. There's 7,000. There, there are people who care about you. There are believers who are surround you. There's a Holy Spirit who will comfort you. Don't believe the lies. God's prescription for our depression. Take rest. <laughs> rest. Maybe the most spiritual thing you can do is take some time off. Replace the lies that you're believing with the truth of God. The third thing that God does, and this is so meaningful to me, and I hope it is to you as well, God speaks in a still, small voice. God says, eat and rest. God replaces our lives with his truth. God speaks in a still, small voice. Now, you have to remember who Elijah's used to dealing with, the God of fire, the God of miraculous provision. And so he goes to meet with God, and he's probably thinking God's going to show up in this big honking earthquake. Okay? God's going to send this fire and be in the fire. But watch what the Bible says, verse 11. The Lord said to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a a what? Would you say it aloud? After the fire came a, a gentle whisper. Sometimes, when we're lowest, God seems to speak the softest. Have you ever noticed that? When we're the lowest, God often speaks the softest. Sometimes it's just a word. It may not be much, and it may not be loud, but it's always exactly enough. The gentle whisper. Not the booming sign that God is capable of doing and done before, but just the voice. And here's what I take so much comfort in today, is that I know there are those of you that you're here and and you're hurting. And I don't find any confidence in you taking anything from my words, but I know that through my words and between my words and behind my words and in my words, God can and will speak to you. If you listen closely enough, you may just hear that still, small voice. I'm here. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. You're not alone. I am enough. 
the still, small voice of God. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is rest. Other times you have to capture those lies and replace them with truth. You listen and God may speak. The fourth thing that God does to Elijah, and I think this is beautiful, is this. If you're taking notes, number four, God gives us something to do. To overcome depression, God says, eat and rest. Replace the lies with truth. God speaks in a small voice. And then God gives us that divine assignment. Look at verse 15 and 16. The Lord says to Elijah, go back the way you came and go over to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elijah, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. In other words, go back to doing what prophets do. Go back to doing what prophets do. And I believe the Spirit of the Lord would speak unto many of you today and say, there is something yet for you to do. You, you feel down, you feel blue, you feel hopeless, you feel afraid, you're unsure, you've lost your confidence, you don't see it, and God may say, if you're still alive, you are not done. If you are still here, it is because God has something to do. Go back to doing what prophets do. You may say, well, I'm not a prophet. Well, what are you, you're a mom? Go back to doing what moms do. Are you a business person? Go back to doing what a business person do. Are, are you a person of prayer? Go back to praying like people of God pray. Do you have the gift of serving? Go back and serve someone. Do you have the gift of giving? Go and give something. Go back and do what God called you to do and watch as he brings life back out of you. Go back, oh man of God, and do what prophets do. Check this out, God gave him this gift. God, God gave him someone who believed in him. One friend, a, a, a younger one named Elisha. Elijah, the man of God, and Elisha comes along. And they start doing what prophets do together. And the younger one says, oh man, if there's anything I could have, I want twice what you have. Give me a double portion of your anointing. And what does Elijah say? Elijah says, well, I'll tell you what, if you're here with me whenever I leave this earth, then you can have it. And that's the way it's going to be. Now think about this. What did Elijah fear most? Go back to the beginning of the story. What was he afraid of? Dying. Remember Jezebel? I'm going to kill you and make you a dead prophet by tomorrow. Ah! Run for your life. His greatest fear of all, death, was something that he never experienced. Only one of two people in all of Scripture recorded as never, ever dying. If you read the story, God sent a chariot of fire from the sky and swept him up and took him on to glory, and he never experienced his greatest fear. And the reality is, for many of you, not all, the number one thing that is consuming you right now, your greatest fear, your biggest what if, for many, you will never experience that because God will lift you above it. 
Others of do, and I, I don't, I don't want to have some kind of message that just says, hey, everything's going to be okay, because reality is, in this world you have trouble. Jesus, I quoted him, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, he said, for I have overcome the world. Even if your greatest what if does come to pass, he will be with you. And he will be enough. I find so much comfort in seeing a man of God Elijah on the top of the world and then on the bottom because in reality, that's, that's a reflection of the way I live. After my greatest victories, the greatest sermon, the greatest church weekend, sometimes I go home and think, oh, I just can't go on. And that's when God says rest. That's when God seems to speak. And that's when God says, go back and do what you're supposed to do because he is always Always enough. All of our campuses together in prayer, would you, would you pray with me? God, we ask that in this holy moment that your spirit would speak to us exactly what we need. At all of our, our campuses and network churches as you're praying right now, I just want to ask very bluntly, and I, I pray that you'd be honest, um, for those of you that are hurting you feel alone, you feel a lack of, of hope, you feel a lack of faith. I'd, I'd ask that you would just be honest enough to say, yes, I'm depressed, and yes, I've lacked hope, and yes, I'm hurting. Um, would you pray for me? If that's you, would you lift up your hands high right now, just in all of, all of our locations, just lift them up high and say, yes, that's me. Just, just a bunch of hands going up right now. God, I pray that just like uh, you spoke and ministered to Elijah, that you would minister to us. And God, I, I ask that for those who are overwhelmed with the burdens of this life, I pray that you would give them the courage to be obedient to rest. God, I pray that they would see it as being directly disobedient to you, sinning against a holy God when they neglect the Sabbath and the principles of rest. God, I, I pray that we would not believe all of the lies. God, I even pray that as, as we're in your presence that you would expose the lies that we are believing and that you would replace them, God, with your truth. May we take every thought captive that is not consistent with your word and make it obedient to Christ. God, I pray that in our time with you that you would speak in a still, small voice. And God, whatever you say, we will do. Help us to go and do what prophets do. God, we, we thank you that if we're still here, we're not done. Give, give us something outside of ourselves to do for your glory and for your name's sake. And, and God, I thank you that you're going to lift us out, that you are the lifter of our heads. God, we thank you that joy comes in the morning. May we fully trust in you and find comfort, God, in your presence. As you keep praying today, uh, I know that there are a lot of you that God brought here, and, and you're about as low as you can get. And, and I would say to you, um, praise God, because the only place you can look is up. The only place you can look is up. There are times when I honestly believe that God lets us hit bottom so that we realize we cannot do life without him. Others of you, you're like Elijah on Mount Carmel. You've had the greatest victory ever. You're, you're making money. You've got the house. You've got, the, the relation, you've got all the things that you thought you'd want that would make you happy, and you realize, I've got these things, and I'm not happy. You've had the victory, and yet you're still depressed. Why is that? Because the things of this world do not satisfy. Why are you here? Because God brought you here because God wants to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus and show you there is nothing else 
in this world that brings life. There is nothing else in this world that satisfies. There is nothing else in this world that will connect you with God save a relationship with his son, Jesus. All of our campuses, there are those of you, you, you can sense that you're here. Here is the story of God's love for you. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus. Jesus lived a sinless life and died the most brutal death on the cross. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. He rose again. And now scripture says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There are some of you, you're so low, you've got nowhere else but to look but up. Look up to Christ. Others of you, you're on the top of the world and you're still empty. Look up to Christ. There is no one else. At all of our campuses, there are those of you here, you say, I acknowledge it. I am lost and separated from God in my sins, and today I want to turn to him. Jesus, would you be my Savior? Today I put my full trust and faith in you. You're here because of this, and you sense it. I surrender my life wholly unto you. At all of our campuses today, that's your prayer. Would you lift your hands high right now? Just lift them up and say, yes. That is my prayer. Jesus, I surrender to you right now. All of our campuses, just say yes to him. As hands are going up at, at all of our campuses and church online, it's my honor to pray with you. Would you just pray this prayer aloud? All of our campuses, pray together. Pray, Heavenly Father, I surrender my life wholly unto you. I am a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus, save me. Forgive me. Make me brand new. My life is not my own. It now belongs to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Life Church, would you welcome those today born into the family of God?